Jonah chapter 4. We've been building up to this all month. All year, really. That was a joke, because it's January. Um, we've been going through this, this interesting book that is remembered by most people for just one verse. Uh, we've been going over for the last few weeks, um, and I've been alluding to kind of this, this character flaw that Jonah has for the last couple of those weeks. been talking about Jonah really um, not being repentant, and Jonah really not being much more than a, than a grumpy, unwilling prophet. To be fair, I haven't really given you a whole tremendous amount of evidence uh, at this point to support what I've been saying. Uh, there's a bit in the first three chapters of the book, there's kind of a bit of de- debatable stuff there that you can, you can get that picture from. Uh, but you don't really get a clear picture, a clear view of Jonah's personality until you get here, until you get to chapter 4. So let's get into it. We'll unwrap We'll, we'll wrap up this book, and it'll finally give us kind of the, the complete picture of, of who Jonah was. Um, so let's pray uh, together, and then we'll read uh, chapter 4. Father God, thank you so much uh, for gathering us here together in this place uh, to praise your name and to learn from your word. Um, Lord, I pray this morning that we can learn from Jonah and what he experienced and how he experienced your love and your forgiveness. Uh, I pray that you would be with me as I, as I seek to preach this word well uh, in a way that not only is correct, but that moves people um, from, from one place to another. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, and as always, hands and feet to move. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord... Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to be dead than to live. The Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade until he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down onto the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The Lord said, You pay the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night, and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and so much cattle? And that's how it ends with the question. Now all along these last three weeks, I've been saying that Jonah is a sorry excuse for an Israelite prophet. And today in chapter 4, he finally shows us his true color. So I'll recap really quickly to catch you up. If you missed a week or two, week 1, God calls Jonah to be a prophet. 
uh, to a group of people who are enemies of Israel and who 50 years later or so would actually take Israel into captivity uh, in the city of Nineveh. Jonah is not a fan of the Assyrians. He's not a fan of Nineveh. In fact, uh, the case can be made that he hates them uh, and that he does everything he can to get away from God's mission and commission on his life. He gets on a boat, tries to go as far away as he can, ends up in a storm that the Lord brings on him, uh, convinces the sailors of the ship that they they, they need to throw him overboard to stop this crazy storm, and they do, and it works. Jonah's promptly eaten by a great fish or a whale, Spends three days inside that fish praying to God, thanking him for his deliverance, that he didn't drown in the, in the ocean. Not asking him to deliver him from the fish, though. Anyway, Jonah is then spit out, vomited on the dry land, where, he's, where, he, where the calling of God again comes on his life. Go to Nineveh. This time Jonah accepts the commission, gets up, goes to Nineveh, preaches their destruction. Forty days you'll be destroyed. And that's where we ended off last week, right? The people repent. People of Nineveh repented of their sin and the Lord relented. That's where we ended off with chapter 3 last week. Jonah's mission, God's mission, is a success. But as we read a few moments ago, Jonah himself doesn't doesn't see it that way. Verse 1, but it. Okay, what's it? It is either the repentance of the Ninevites or it's the fact that when they did repent, God relents from the disaster. When they repented, God relented, right? So I'm of the opinion here that it's, it's what displeased Jonah is the repentance in particular. And that's mostly because of the way Jonah writes how the rest of the story plays out in verse 5. So here we go. It, their repentance, their repentance displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. So Jonah's mission to the Ninevites is successful. The goal is accomplished. People are saved. They repent. God sends Jonah there to, to get them to repent or, or else he'll destroy them. It works. And now all of a sudden Jonah is, is incredibly happy and, and he's praising the Lord and, and he's going to go back to his... No, that's not what happens. He's upset. He's angry. And so his response is to pray. Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is saying to God, I told you this would happen. You send me halfway across Israel to a land I don't want to be in, to a people I can't stand. You tell me to tell them to repent or else you're going to destroy them, which is great because that's what I want you to do anyway. And it works. Of course it works because nobody wants to be destroyed. And of course you, God, are such a big softy that you forgive them. And I knew it was going to happen. That's why I tried to run away. So kill me now because I'd rather be dead than live in a world where Ninevites can repent and be forgiven. Remember I've been saying lately that Jonah's heart hasn't been changed? That Jonah's just obeying God when he decides to go to Nineveh because he realizes it's useless to disobey him? Jonah's only obeying God grudgingly because it's useless to resist him. That's the only reason he did it. His heart hadn't been changed yet. So he just lets loose on God. It's uncomfortable to see, isn't it? It's uncomfortable to hear, too. It's uncomfortable for me to say it. 
Think it's okay to be mad at God? Think it's okay to be angry with the Lord? I'll tell you, if, if you read the Old Testament, if it's not okay, it's certainly in the Bible a lot. Passages like in the Psalms where, you know, Oh Lord, oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? First few words of the book of Habakkuk. I mean, oh Lord, how long will I cry for help and you will not hear? God's people are frequently mad at him, frequently angry with him. And it's not wrong. It's not a bad thing to be angry with God occasionally. It's not a bad thing to be angry with God for, a, for even a somewhat long period of time. But it's, it's not okay to stay there. But it is okay to let that mask of everything's okay just slip a little bit. It's okay to be honest with your struggles and with your shortcomings and with your sin. It's, it's okay to be honest about things that God is doing in your life that you just, you just don't like. You don't want to be a part of. Even though your brain might know better, ultimately, you know, this is for my own good. Ultimately, God's teaching me something. Ultimately, God's, God's forming me. It's okay to not like it right now. As long as you don't stay there. And that's what Jonah was doing wrong. He was, he was staying there. Through the whole book, Jonah was staying in that place of bitterness and anger towards the Assyrians, towards the Ninevites, and towards God. Finally, verse 4, God just says to him, The Lord said, you do well to be angry. Let me ask you this. Does, does being angry ever solve anything? Does the simple act of being angry ever fix the thing that made you angry in the first place? I'm not saying it's a bad thing to be angry. I'm saying it's, there's, there's a bad way to be angry. And if being angry doesn't move you on, to fixing the problem. If it doesn't motivate you to fix the problem, then, then what are you doing? I'll tell you a story. A few weeks ago, I was, I was studying for this, for this sermon, for this message, and I, and I came across that verse. I came across verse 4. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And in my mind, and you guys know this, in my mind, I kind of picture God leaning, on a, like leaning against the wall with this kind of smug look on his face going, hey, how's that working out for you? How's that anger working? Is, is, that, is that helpful? Is it, is it working out? And for some reason, that morning, that verse just crushed me. It crushed me. It just absolutely just... And then, of course, as life will, I went home that afternoon, and, and Cody and I had a fight, and I got angry at her. I don't even know what... Do you even remember what it was about? No, of course not. Neither do I. And you get through to the end of the fight, right? And the fight's over, and there's, there's hurt feelings, and there's bitterness, and there's forgiveness, and all of that. And, and, I, and I heard this verse in the back of my head, and I saw God leaning in a doorframe going, how's that working out for you? Being angry is fine as long as it motivates you, as long as it spurs you on to being, to righteously solving whatever it is that makes you angry. But if you're just being angry... And if you're just letting loose, you're not doing anybody any good, least of all yourself. And that's where Jonah was. Verse 5. Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what became of the city. So Jonah gets mad with God. He's upset 
that what he knew would happen, happened to the city. I knew you were going to forgive them. So he leaves. Goes out a little way, just kind of past the outskirts of town, and he makes himself a booth. Right? If you've heard of the, the, the Jewish feasts of booths, right? It's kind of this, kind of a, like a little shelter, trees, branches, twigs, and stuff. And he, and he sits there, remember there's 40 days, they have 40 days to re- repent, and that's how long the fast was. He sits there and he waits to see what happens at the end of the 40 days. Essentially he's waiting to, to see that he's right, that God will in fact relent, even though we know already from Jonah's account that, that that's what happens. Prophets, some of them have nicknames, right? Like Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Because he cried so much. He wept over Israel so much. Um, I have a nickname for Jonah. I, I call Jonah the pouting prophet. Because that's what he's doing here. He's, he's pouting. Right? Think, of, think of what just happened. Jonah goes to a pagan, godless city. Preaches repentance. Preaches sin. And it works. They repent. They turn to the Lord. We saw that in Matthew 12. It's a legitimate, real repentance. Because they judge us. Right? The men of Nineveh will rise up and judge us one day. So they repent. And then when he succeeds, when his mission is a success, the entire city repents. I mean, that happens today. The pastor writes a book and then he's like set as a conference speaker for the rest of his life. Jonah pouts. He goes and builds himself a little tiny shelter and he pouts because he knew it would happen. Because he couldn't stand the Ninevites. Just look at Jonah's attitude so far. He basically says, I knew you were merciful, so I ran away because I don't want, they don't deserve mercy. The Ninevites don't deserve your mercy, so I ran away because I want no part of their repentance. I want no part of their salvation. I want no part of your mercy on these horrible, sinful people. Remember that. Verse 6, now the Lord God appoints a plant and makes it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when Jonah came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed the scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better, to live, better for me to die than to live. Now, I'm being hard on Jonah. But he's been through a lot the last few weeks of his life. I mean, we, we can agree to that. He's, he's commissioned by God to do something he doesn't want to do. Runs away, gets into a huge storm on a boat, is thrown overboard, almost drowns to death, eaten by a fish, not comfortable, lives inside that fish for three days, really not comfortable, vomited out onto a shoreline. I'm sure that wasn't fun either. Given the same job again he doesn't want to do, realizes he really has no choice, agrees to do it, does the job he doesn't want, sees that God works just as he knew he would, so now he goes and he pouts and he waits himself in a temporary shelter to wash to see what God will do. And then almost as this small act of mercy, but we'll see later it's a lesson, God sends this plant, this tall, leafy, shady plant to help Jonah in his discomfort. So he's had, he's had a rough go. God gives him a break, a bit of a rest from that pain and discomfort that his life has been over the last few days or even weeks. But Jonah's seen God do a lot of things. Because Jonah expected to die. 
when he sinned. He expected to die when he ran away from God the first time. Yet God, God saved him from drowning. He saved him. He had mercy on him. Didn't kill him in the sea. Rescued him with a fish. Now, did Jonah deserve that? No. Didn't deserve God's mercy as a sinner. None of us do. Now he's sitting in a booth outside of town and he's pouting. Now, does Jonah deserve the plant? No. That expression of mercy and provision in his life, does Jonah deserve that? No. Now, here's an interesting fact. In Hebrew, which is a really contextual language, in Hebrew, the word disaster in chapter 3, verse 10, is the same word we see in chapter 4, verse 6, except in 4, 6, it's translated discomfort. So Jonah, the author, after all of this had happened, when he sat down to write this book, Jonah, the author, is linking himself to the city of Nineveh. Because he's using the same word in Hebrew. He's the example. Jonah sees that not at the time, but later when he's writing, Jonah sees that he is just as undeserving, just as fallen, just as sinful as the city of Nineveh, and he's just as undeserving of God's grace and God's mercy in his, in, in his life. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? There's that same question again. God's asking that question again. God, jo- Jonah, how is this anger working out for you? Is it leading to your joy? Is it leading to your comfort? Or are you just adding to your own misery? And then Jonah takes the rope that God gives him and hangs himself with it. Still in verse 9. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Jonah says, you're darn right I'm mad. Probably didn't say darn. You're darn right I'm mad. I deserve to be mad. Look at all you've put me through. All you've made me do. I am mad and I'm going to stay mad because it's my right. Let me ask you, is that appropriate? Talking to God like that? Is it appropriate to react to God like that when you're in misery, when you're in darkness, when you're in hardship? I'm going to make the case that not, not only is it naturally human to do so, I do think it's appropriate. Because not to do so is emotionally deceptive to our own soul. And you suppress that emotion. You're, you're lying only to yourself and those around you because you're, you're not fooling God, I'll tell you that. He knows how you really feel. Heaven forbid, I mean, it's okay to be upset. Someone close to you dies tragically or someone dies at a young age or your, your spouse dies too early. You're not going to show up in church on Sunday morning. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Like you're not, it's not going to happen. And that's okay. It's okay to let that mask slip. It's okay to be honest with yourself because there's no point in lying to God. He's smarter than you. It's appropriate to be in that place. It's appropriate to react in that way. Otherwise, the Bible wouldn't say that we are to mourn with those who mourn or we are to bear each other's burdens. It's appropriate to be there. Not appropriate to stay there forever, though. But I've got to be honest with you. You've got to be honest with yourself. You've got to work out your issues with the God who loves you and welcomes you, even when you're mad at Him. Chloe gets mad at me a lot. Right? 
I'm her dad. She gets mad at me, you know, uh, because she can't have Cheetos for breakfast or because she can't have a cupcake for lunch or because she didn't have enough dinner to, to warrant dessert or something, you know, toddlers. They get mad for any number of reasons. And when Chloe's, like, when, when, when Cody's mad at me, right, I love you. You're not cute when you're mad, right? But when a toddler, I mean, when, those of you who have toddlers, when a toddler gets mad at you, that's cute, right? This little pint-sized person looking, like, big frown on their face, looking, Daddy, I'm mad. Like, I'm trying really hard not to laugh. Like, because I want to respect your emotions, right? I don't want to just laugh at you. But, I mean, that's funny. What are you, you're, you're, you're this big. What are you going to do if you're mad? You guys, that's what we look like when we're mad at God. Right? Like, the difference between me and Chloe is nothing compared to the difference between me and the Father. So when I get mad at my Father, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's suppressing laughter. God asks Jonah a loaded question. It exposes who Jonah is. Exposes his own sinful heart. Exposes his pride. Exposes his arrogance. And you can probably get it with the saying. It exposes his racism. Right? Jonah doesn't want these Syrians to be saved because they're Assyrian. So God responds. Verse 10. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. God says to Jonah, you have no right to be mad here. You didn't create this plant, I did. You didn't work for this plant, I did. You didn't tell it to grow and how high to grow and how big it should be to shelter your stubborn head, I did. Jonah didn't miss the plant, he missed what the plant did for him. Which exposes his true selfishness. Jonah missed the works of the plant. He's only interested in the external results of the plant. He only cares about the shade. Didn't care about the plant. Cared about what it could do for him. How many of us treat God the same way? We don't worship God for who he is alone. We worship God for what he can do for you or what he has done for you. I'll tell you, worshiping God because he saved you from hell is fine. But it comes from an insufficient understanding of who God is. If you only worship God because of what God can do or what God has done for you, then you don't understand who God is. Creator, sustainer, all that is, all that was, and everything that ever will be in this massive, growing, expanding universe that we observe around us would not exist if it was not for God. That fact alone is enough to worship Him. Even if He doesn't save you, you should worship Him. There's a thought. Verse 11, we'll end here. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? God reminds Jonah that he created Nineveh. He created those people. He created those animals. He created it all. They don't know him. They don't follow him. They don't worship him. Of course he should pity them. Of course God should extend them mercy. 
Jonah's so wrapped up in his superiority of being a Jew, of being an Israelite, of being one of God's chosen people, that he forgets that if God had not chosen Israel, he, he would have chosen some other nation. And Jonah would be on the outside looking in. He might have chosen Syria. If not for the New Testament word, if not for the election of God, Jonah is no different than all the Assyrian Ninevites that he looks down his nose at. Just like us, if not for the election of God, we are no different than sinners that we may or may not, I don't know your heart, may or may not look down our noses at. God says they don't know their right hand from their left. They're completely spiritually lost. They're completely turned around. They're completely just pitiable. That's what we mean when we say someone's lost. They need to be saved. They need to be rescued. God sent Jonah to do that. And the best Jonah could do was obey grudgingly because he wanted to see an entire city's worth of people go to hell. Because of his pride. Here's the difference in the text between Jonah's character and God's character. Okay? If Jonah was a judge, if Jonah was in God's shoes, in God's position, and he had the ability to judge these people, he would condemn them all to the pit for eternity with a smile on his face. Now God sends people to hell. It's in the book. It's clear as day. It's one of those things that If you were here last week, if you read the Bible and you disagree with this part of it, you change your mind. God sends people to hell, but there's a difference. He's not smiling when it happens. He's sorrowful. God is sorrowful. The story of Jonah is not too dissimilar from our story today. The difference is we don't have to go to Nineveh to see godless people who don't know their right from their left. We don't have to go to Nineveh to see horribly lost people who will chase anything and any item to try to fill that void in their soul, in their heart, but won't ever find it because only the grace of God that is freely given to them will satisfy. You don't have to go to Nineveh to find people like that who work and work and work and work and try to be good and try to be good and try to live good lives and try to live better than the person who came before them rather than just simply accepting the grace of a holier, righteous God who they could never live up to and just being declared righteous. You don't have to go to Nineveh to find that. You know where you have to go to find that? Next door. Some of us don't even have to go that far. Some of us can just look in the next bedroom over or even... In the bed next to us. The book of Jonah ends with a question. It's a really funny way to end a book. Shouldn't I pity them? Shouldn't I do everything I possibly can to save them? Shouldn't I extend them grace, extend them mercy, to give them just one more chance? Should I not do everything in my power to save them? I think Jonah ends with that question because God finally gets through to his heart. Because God, because Jonah finally gets it. Jonah had such a, a vile distaste for anyone who wasn't a Jew, particularly the Assyrians, who wasn't a part of the covenant community of Israel, that he would rather see them burn than be forgiven. Does that sound familiar? Maybe like what some churches do, or what churches in the past have done. 
many people in the church, in North American evangelicalism in particular, make behavior an idol. Many people in the church think that the way to save people is to clean up their act and clean up their lives and force them to do things that are godly, to enact laws that are godly, to protest and make people behave in a morally acceptable way because they'd much rather break someone's knee in submission and force them to bow to God than see them touched by the power of Christ and the power of the gospel and see their hearts changed and to see repentance so that they can begin to naturally act in those ways that are righteous because they now actually want to please God now that they've been saved by him. God finally breaks through to Jonah with that last question. So Jonah now asks his readers, us, what do you want to be? Who do you want to be? What heart do you want to have? Do you want to have the heart of Jonah that sees only the sin in other people while ignoring your own sin and your own arrogance and your own pride? Or do you want to have a heart like God who gives grace and grace and grace and love and not acceptance but tolerance? Tolerance means to put up with. God certainly put up with Nineveh for a long time. And grace and grace. Guess what? Godless people sin. Who knew? Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? It's all they know. It's all they know is is following their own heart, following their own desires, following their own flesh. They don't know about God. They don't know about majesty and glory and righteousness. If they've heard about it, they don't care. Sinners sin. Why are we surprised by that? God says they don't know their right hand from their left, so they do whatever feels good to them. Doesn't that sound a little like postmodernism now? Do whatever feels right. There is no such thing as objective truth. Do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. Jonah, the old Jonah, would laugh, would condemn them, would stay the heck away from them because I don't want to catch sin. So just judge them. And I'll stay over here. Jonah forgets that when God saves you, he picks you up out of that. You're just as bad, just as dirty, just as unrighteous, just as filthy, just as silly and following your own heart like every other sinner. Then Jonah turns around and says, well, I'm here now. I know I'm safe, so forget them. When we do that, when we stay away from people who don't know Jesus, or when we just don't tell them about Jesus, when we don't share the gospel with people, both in the way we act with them and in the way we talk with them, when we don't do that with people we know are dying, they're going to end up in hell. And we refrain from giving them the gift of grace that God gave us so freely and undeservedly. We show ourselves to have a heart no different than Jonah. Why are we surprised when sinners sin? All they're doing is acting consistently with the way they see the world. Why do we show scorn when we should be showing pity? Do I want my country to make a bunch of laws 
that makes sin illegal? No, it's a waste of time. God already did it. People still sin. What can your country do to you that God can't? People sin regardless of the laws that are in front of them, right? It's, it's, it's a waste of time. I've said this before. I'd rather live in a country full of people who believe that abortion kills a human being and someone created in the image and likeness of God, but it's legal, than in a country where it's illegal to do it, but nobody gives a rip. Because if people don't care that they're killing a person, they'll find ways to do it anyways, regardless of the law. But if it's legal and people understand what they're really doing, and they worship the God who created them, I bet you you're going to see a lot fewer, regardless of what the law says. When someone's heart changes, when someone's heart changes and they now freely want to be righteous, that's when behavior starts to change. Anybody can fake it. Anybody can fake righteousness. It's not real until your heart changes. So why even bother changing behavior before we change hearts? You can tell people a million times to change their behavior. What good will it do if your heart's made of stone? I've met people, I've talked to people who've told me, look, everyone you know and everyone that we know collectively thinks I'm a Christian, but guess what? I'm faking it. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I've met people who've told me that. You think I'm a Christian. I'm not. I just, I've been hanging around you guys long enough to fake it. We had a long conversation after that. By God's grace, that guy's a Christian now. Because God changed his heart. So we end with the question that Jonah leaves us with. Which heart do you have? What do you think of people who aren't Christians? Do you, do you crack even the, even the tiniest, subtlest smile when you think that if they continue their life in this way, they're going to end up in hell? Or do you weep for their souls like God the Father does? I can't answer the question for you. Only you can. But whose heart do you have? And whose heart do you want? Let's pray.